Oh, it's great to be with you guys uh, today. And uh, there's a lot of points intersecting this morning. Um, it's Palm Sunday, as we mentioned, that day in the year where we take ourselves back uh, to that time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem as their king. Um, and as uh, we talked about, Jerusalem was to be the city of peace, uh, God's uh, community of peace. Uh, something that you as a community have reflected on, actually, in this past year uh, with Lucas about being um, a city of peace uh, coming from Jeremiah 29, being a, a church for the city and uh, bringing the peace of God to the city. So we're reflecting on that again of how Jesus was a king of peace coming into the city of peace um, uh, prior to his, his crucifixion and resurrection. So that's one of the things happening today. And we're going to talk a bit about that theme, uh, so we'll come back to that. The other thing happening today is, I understand this is the last time you have a guest speaker, and next week Lucas is back. Is that right? Now, how many here are excited that Lucas is coming back? Some of you aren't clapping. Am I supposed to read something from that? Let's try it again. Who's excited for Lucas coming back? Now... On top of this, it's his birthday, I understand. Did you guys know that? It's his birthday. Now, how many here have, like, actually brought a gift for him today? <laughs> uh, uh, no, you didn't remember. But do you know what's amazing? So you can go home, Starbucks, Tim, Tim Hortons. You can buy him a gift card and send it email. You can send him a movie passes. So why don't you guys do that today? Just, like, fill up his inbox with birthday gifts from his church. You guys like that idea? All right, let's do that. Okay. Come on. Bless your pastor. He's coming back. So we've got a lot of great things happening here today. I want to begin with um, a passage from Isaiah 43. And this is uh, the prophet Isaiah speaking uh, to Israel uh, two and a half thousand years ago. See, I am doing a new thing. This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Why do you think God had to tell Israel to kind of wake up and look around to see the new thing God was doing? Why does God sometimes have to do that to me? Well, I could tell you why I think God had to do that. It's because we as humans have our routines. We get busy about life and we get into the, the normal routines of how life goes. We look for what's familiar. We look for what we already kind of can anticipate. And when something new happens, that's kind of like an interruption to our routines. If it, here God has to break in and say, hey, wait, wait a minute, people. I'm doing a new thing. Here's something else I've kind of reflected on in this. You know, you think about the diversity of humanity. If you just look around, it's a multicultural church. Um, we live in an incredible a multicultural city, uh, an ethnically diverse world. We live in uh, an ecology that's incredibly lavish, diverse. We live in this massive universe that's so diverse. And then we want routine. But we serve this God who's incredibly creative. I think one of the things that I appreciate about this, God doing a new thing, saying, God, God saying, hey, wake up, I'm doing a new thing. It's like we're tapping into just who God is. God always wants to do a new thing. God's endlessly creative. When a, 
a family gets going, what happens? There's new babies. There's new life. When a new generation comes up, there's new songs. There's new creativity. There's new expressions. This is who God created us to be. But sometimes we need to be kind of um, sort of tapped on the shoulders. Hey! And God has to say, oh yeah, God's doing a new thing. Why do I bring that to us today? In the role that I have now, and I appreciate the, the warm welcome and introduction, previously I was 14 years, 15 years at the Meeting House, and got to be a part of that church family as they're on mission, serving their neighborhoods, serving their communities, reaching out around the world. We share the same heart as you, working at the same things. But God called uh, me and a small team that I'm working on to step out of the comfort of that routine. to And basically what I sense God say when God, uh, when I sense God sort of call us out to this is like, Tim, you're not doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing, and I want to show you what I'm doing. And that was, that's really been my experience over the last uh, few years, is this incredible experience of observing God at work doing a new thing. And I believe in Toronto, even as I come to talk to you today, you're a part of a new thing God is doing. A reimagination, uh, a rebirthing, a new expression of God working in this city. And I want us to, to think about that. I want us to reflect a little bit on that. The reason why God does a new thing, the reason why God recreates, why God um, renews us for this type of work is because he deeply loves people and he wants to reach them right where they're at. That's why God does this. And so he invites those of us who follow Jesus to be a part of that process. So let's just talk a little bit about your church, because what I'm going to say to you today is going to resonate deeply with who you are. I first want to just uh, show you what I know about Bayview Glen. You're a city-focused church. You come in, you have the city mapped out. That's obviously something super important to you. You're a multicultural church. You're a multi-generational church. And you're a mission-driven church. Would you say that's who you guys are? Let's try that again. Would you guys say that that's who you are? Yes. Are you into this? Is this who you want to be? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Okay, well, you're part of a movement that's been living this way for a while. The, the Missionary Alliance, do you guys know this? You're part of a movement that's been really passionate about this for a while. I see this on their... Oh, actually, let me, let me go first to your, your emblem. I want to look at... This is your emblem. Do you guys know what this means? Kind of. It's your symbol. I love it. It's super inspiring to me when I look at this. What I see in this is, first of all, there's three branches, three colors to the branches, which to me, and I asked about this, uh, is like the three facets of your mission. So you're not just about one thing. Jesus is inspiring you to have a holistic mission. And there's red leaves on there in terms of how Jesus unites that mission as one. It's the love of God. It's Jesus transforming you on this mission. You're all united, growing. It's a beautiful emblem. It, it also reminds me just of your diversity, your generational diversity, your cultural diversity, that you're living and growing. I think it's a beautiful em emblem for what we talked about of you being that kind of city-focused, mission-driven, multicultural, multi-generational church. It's a beautiful emblem. Now to your denomination that I was mentioning. Let's take a look at what they say. I love this prayer. This is on your denomination's website. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. That heartbeat, I just love. 
It's this prayer longing for God to change us from the inside out. It's laser focused on Jesus as your leader, as the one who is transforming you. It's, it's heart wide open, asking God to permeate every part of your being with his presence, with his spirits to transform you. It's surrendering your life, abandoning your life to God to say, I want to be on mission. I want my life to count. I want to band together with other people to make a difference that will last for eternity. And what is the most powerful thing that we could do for all eternity is see the multiplication of the love of God in other people's lives to make disciples everywhere. That's in our city and beyond. Is this the type of prayer that drives you? Is this the type of thing that... uh, fires you up on Monday morning when you go to work or when you go to school. This is a beautiful prayer that, for me, reflects the mission that God gave to his church. Last couple of weeks, you've been uh, interacting with another guest spe- speaker, Sunder uh, Krishna. Have you appreciated his teaching? Talking about the gospel kind of challenge you to go into the whole world. You guys, Ephesians, one of my favorite books. Um, I want to carry on that theme, but what I want to do on this Palm Sunday, just as Jesus rode back into Jerusalem into the city of peace as a king of peace, I want us to reflect again how we can take this heartbeat of surrender our lives and now bring this heart into our city. We're not going to focus on Jerusalem. What we're, this morning we're going to focus on us, the city of Rome um, and look at how Paul was led by God to go into Rome, inspired by Jesus, to carry the message of Jesus into that very uh, culturally diverse and very difficult um, place to to actually proclaim the message of Jesus. That's what we're going to look at today. To do this, uh, to get into this message, what I want us to do now is um, put ourselves back in the mindset of those first disciples. Uh, After Jesus' death and resurrection, he commissions his disciples to carry this heart into the whole world. I want us to look at what Jesus actually said to them in Acts 1, um, 6 to 8. This is what we read here. This is Jesus, a part, a part of his commissioning of his disciples. He says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's their city context, in Judea and Samaria, that's their national context, and to the ends of the earth. And for them, the Roman Empire encompass much of what they understood as the known world at that time. It was like throughout the whole world, throughout the whole empire. That was the mission Jesus gave them. Well, how is this going to take place? How is God going to take this small group of men and women that were a part of that early movement and use them for that kind of impact? You'd have to read through the whole book of Acts to see how it unfolds. A couple things before we get to Paul going into Rome. A couple things I can just highlight that you'd see in the book of Acts if you'd read through that. First of all, this band of disciples that went out did not immediately launch into mission. It actually took them a while. They, they were in Jerusalem for a while. Some persecution had to hit them to move them about. It wasn't as if they did it perfectly and it didn't happen overnight. Uh, that's one of the things that we as people can be encouraged by in their story. Is sometimes we don't do things perfectly. Sometimes we don't respond to God immediately. Uh, sometimes we don't just launch into this mission. We're fearful or we're, we're uh, uncertain. And that's okay. God continues to work through his people as we stay surrendered. That's what we see in the book of Acts. These disciples, little by little, figured out what it meant to live this mission. 
A second thing that we observe in the book of Acts is that it wasn't these disciples that actually did some of the most adventurous work in taking the message to the Roman Empire. God had to transform the life of a Pharisee, someone who hated the movement, was trying to kill people. You know, Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus loved one of his enemies by approaching Saul of Tarsus and changed his life. It was in Acts 13, over a decade later, that the disciples are rallying around Paul and Barnabas and launched them on this mission to carry Jesus' message to the ends of the earth. It wasn't even Peter. It wasn't James, the half-brother of Jesus. It were people who were not even discipled by Jesus, didn't know him, who were launched out in this mission. Well, let's roll it ahead as Paul is carrying this message around. We see this in Acts 23. Read this passage. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. In Paul's different missionary journeys, here in this passage, he's found himself back in Jerusalem. He's actually going to be arrested and go through a very, very difficult phase before he ends up in Rome. Goes through a shipwreck, all sorts of terrible things are going to, he's going to have to face in that process. I want us to note here, back in Acts 1, when Jesus commissions about to the end of the earth, going to Rome to preach in Rome would have been um, one of the most powerful symbolic representations of preaching to the whole known, the whole known world. Caesar was there. That was the capital of the known world. It was a powerful, symbolic representation of that promise Jesus had. Now, as we look at Paul here, he's in Jerusalem again. He's been on missionary journeys. He's been trying to carry Jesus' message out. Now, Jesus comes to him and says, you are going to Rome. You're going to, prophes- you're going to preach my message in Rome. What can we understand from the historical context right now when this is taking place? Here's a couple things that we can know. First, it was already on Paul's heart to go to Rome. He, we know as we piece together the, the evidence that Paul wrote the book of Romans that you can read um, prior to this point. And he already states there, I, I want to come to you. I'm on my way to Spain and I want to visit you. So he has a heart to go to Rome. The second thing that we can know from history is that this type of mission is a very dangerous mission. Um, Nero had already become emperor. Now, if you know the story of the emperors, Nero was a very bad dude. He became emperor in uh, 54 AD at 17, uh, 16, 17 years old. His mom um, sort of was co-ruling, kind of influencing through him. By the time that this took place in 59 AD, about five years later. It was the same year Nero killed his mom. If you know anything about Nero and the type of persecutions, burning Christians at the stake for his garden parties, he's a very bad dude. Now, just picture Paul now saying, I'm going to go to Rome, I'm going to preach publicly. I might even appear before the Caesar's court. How would you feel going to a place like that? As you look at what Paul had to endure in terms of a shipwreck, in terms of what he was facing, I'm not surprised. In fact, I think it was very um, compassionate for Jesus to appear to him to say, I'm with you. 
I called you to do this. You're not going alone. I'm actually appearing to you again to say I'm with you. Sometimes we need that close encounter with Jesus when we do some of the most fearful things. It in, when we step in obedience to God, there's moments in time where that obedi- obedience will take us so far out of our comfort zone that the only thing that we can do at that moment is turn to God and cling to God in that moment because we need to encounter God's presence with us to face that fearful thing. As we read Paul's story, that's what he experienced. That's what we can anticipate. That's not a bad thing. It becomes that moment in our lives where actually we get to encounter what it means to have solidarity with Jesus. Where it moves from theory to something that is basically at the core of our life because we know that God has called us to this and the only way we can do it is if Jesus goes with us. Let's think a little bit more about this Roman culture. We've thought about Nero. What would have Paul been stepping into in terms of a culture? I want to show a picture here. Now, some said this was the first church of Bayview Glen. I don't believe that's true. (laughs) You guys have been around a while. You have a celebration coming up, I understand. 40 years, is that right? 40 years? So this is a little bit older than 40 years. This is the Pantheon in in, uh, Rome. One of the the only fully intact ancient structure from that time period. It's is amazing. This, is, this version of the Pantheon is about just after about 100 AD. And the other thing that's really interesting about this, it has the largest, it's, it's like concrete, unsupported dome structure that humans have ever built. We've never replicated it. Isn't that amazing? Anyways, what do we know about this city? And from this pantheon, you might be able to infer some of this. It was advanced, extremely advanced for its time. It was multicultural. Uh, If you study the Roman culture, it was oppressive. It was unjust by our standards today. Highly addicted, incredibly violent. In terms of its parties and its temples, like this was a temple, the Praetorium was a temple. Um, The parties, uh, the drunkenness, um, the, the uh, use of sex as a part of their worship, beyond anything that we would probably be able to conceive of. I know that a little bit of this firsthand. This past year, my family and I got to go to Italy, and uh, we got a chance to uh, tour Pompeii, which was a Roman city buried under ash because of a volcano. When it was excavated, a lot of it was kind of revealed again of what their culture was all about. So here's a picture of my family. Uh, we're in the main court there in Pompeii, Uh, My wife, Nathan, who's with me here today, Josh, Rachel. Uh, Here's another picture from Pompeii. This is one of the streets, a street view of Pompeii. Um, If you were to go to Pompeii, maybe some of you have been there, you'd be able to see the small rooms where the gladiators would sleep at night when they were training. Um, You could go, there's arrows pointing to where the brothels were in the city. They'd have signs pointing to where the brothels were. The brothels had uh, sort of different levels of uh, cost for common people or wealthier people. There's a, a number of them. If you go into the brothels, be warned. Uh, there's sexual paintings still on the walls there where you can see is basically turning um, sex into fast food for the cost of like the equivalent of like a McDonald's meal. You could go in and hire a prostitute. 
This was the type of culture that uh, spread throughout the Roman Empire. This is what Paul would have been stepping into as he heads into that city. So now, how did Paul, how was Paul going to impact this city? We read in Acts 28, he finally gets there. And when he came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a, a soldier who guarded him. So now he's finally arrived. How are they going to impact the city? There's some Christians there. What is God going to do to impact a city like that? Wouldn't you feel overwhelmed? Maybe when you think of Toronto, you think, well, how are we going to impact this city? Let's see what uh, God used. There are four things that I observed from Paul. We can glean this, actually not from the book of Acts, but from Romans, the, the book of Romans that Paul wrote to the church there. We can glean these points from them. We're going to look at them. There are four things that we can learn. First, God used new leadership, new ways of talking about Jesus, new approaches, homes and workplaces, and new level, a new level of working together. As we look at the book of Romans, we're just going to look at a few verses this morning, we'll be able to see that this is how God impacted the city. First off, new leadership. At the end of the book of Romans, a lot of times we pass over that final chapter, 16. If you look there, it's just a list of people Paul is greeting. I want to highlight one couple. Give greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful for them and for all of the Gentile churches. That's in Romans 16. Back in Corinth, Paul had met this couple. They had been kicked out of Rome. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, they had been kicked out of Rome, but they had returned, and they were uh, ministry leaders there. Now, here's something we can point out about Priscilla and Aquila. They were tent makers. Um, they had been trained in the message of Jesus, but they were just integrating uh, how they shared Jesus uh, into their daily life. Uh, that's basically what we know about them, a husband and wife couple. Now notice again, in terms of how this city is being impacted, Paul is under Roman guard. It isn't as if he has complete freedom there. This isn't Peter coming, who can tell eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. This is a couple we know as Priscilla and Aquila. They're just written in in a couple places. God is using them to impact their city. As you look around the room, just take a look at each other. How many Priscilla and Aquilas or maybe you're a single person and you're just a Priscilla or just an Aquila. How many of you are here in this room that basically could live this same way that we see written here? Do something. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you a Priscilla or an Aquila? You should be able to tell, but just in case. God's going to use new leadership. Number two, God's going to use new ways of talking about Jesus. God's going to inspire them to talk in new ways. I want us to take a look at, uh, see this inscription here. Uh, this is a Roman inscription that dates back um, to 9 AD. It's a calendar inscription, and um, it's about Augustus. So this is prior to when Paul, uh, under Nero, this is back about uh, Caesar Augustus, 9 AD. This was found in Turkey. But I want us to look at the translation of this inscription because it helps us understand how they talked in the time uh, when Paul was in Rome, kind of the language that they used, okay? Let's take a look at the translation. God, or providence, the gods, who divinely orders our lives, created with passion and generosity the most perfect good for our lives by giving us 
Augustus, and filling him with a noble character for the good of humanity. Let's keep reading. Providence sent us and those after us a Savior who put an end to war and established all things. When he, Caesar, appeared, he exceeded the hopes of all who anticipated good news by surpassing the previous benefactors who were before him and leaving no hope to those who came after him of ever surpassing him. The birthday of the God Augustus marked for the world the beginning of the good news of his coming. Now, does that sound like somebody you know? Kind of sounds familiar. The Son of God, who brings peace to the world, a Savior, who proclaims good news, proclaims the gospel to the whole world. Does that sound familiar? It should. Who is Lord, if you ask a Roman? Caesar's Lord. Who is Savior? Caesar's Savior. Who proclaims the good news? Caesar proclaims the good news. This was the language they used to describe their master, their Lord, their leader, the Son of God. Let's take a look at how Paul wrote to the Romans when he was talking about Jesus. Paul, this is Paul's, in Paul's introduction, right off the bat as he's writing to the Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. You could translate that an ambassador. And set apart for the good news of God. The good news he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. Not Caesar. Another son. The true son. Who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David. And who the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in the power of the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Why do I point this out in terms of new language? What I notice here is that as Paul is coming into Rome, he is using terms, categories, ways of thinking that the Romans would have understood. It would have uh, upended their way of thinking. It was taking the very uh, beliefs that they had and were kind of throwing them on their head. But he was talking to them in a way that they could understand. He doesn't come to them and say, let me tell you about the branch. Let me tell you about the son of David. Let me tell you about uh, the anointed one. He doesn't use that language predominantly. He uses words, very often, he uses words that would have made sense to them in their culture. We can be inspired by that. That God is going to, as he leads us into our cities, he's going to want us to interpret the full meaning of Jesus' message in a way that people can understand. Let's uh, move on. New approaches, homes and workplaces. We saw about Priscilla and Aquila. There's a simple phrase. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Now, the Jews of that day would have met in synagogues, the Romans in temples. The Christians didn't have either. They used their homes and their workplaces, a place to gather, to get together. The word church here just simply means assembly, where Christians get together to talk about Jesus. So I love it here that you have people signing up to be hosts. Uh, how many here are actively engaged in one of your life groups? Okay. There's more of you guys can get involved. Some of you might be shy now putting up your hands. But do you know what? This is, goes back 2,000 years. Christians getting together in homes or in workplaces to, to um, support each other as they share Jesus' message. 
Uh, this goes all the way back to how they impacted Rome. New ways of working together. Uh, this is from Romans 15, 5 and 7. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. One of the things that's interesting, if you read through the book of Romans, it does talk about the pagan culture, or the, uh, the very kind of, uh, how do I say, uh, very kind of violent and oppressive culture. Uh, it did, um, does talk about that. It talks about how Jesus changes you from the inside out uh, through his spirit moving and how he can unify us together to express his love and community. It talks about loving your enemies, those that are different. But there's an extensive pas passage about um, those who are of Gentile background and Christian background or Jewish background learning how to live together in unity. This is a big part of Romans, an important part of Romans. Why was that so important? One of the things that's interesting about history when we look at the historical context, there was some sort of controversy that led Claudius, now Claudius was the emperor before Nero, to kick all the Jews out of, or, or do something that kind of forced them out of Rome. There's some sort of disturbance. This is written about, about Suetonius, a, a Roman historian. It's mentioned in the book of Acts. Remember I said... Uh, Aquila and Priscilla were pushed out of Rome or left Rome. Read this one in Acts 18. Well, what went on there? Suetonius, the historian, talks about an uproar that took place because of a crestus. Uh, it's very, very close, in a very close translation to Christ. Now, historians debate this, but what could have potentially happened was that as those who were Jewish but Christian began to interact with the other Jews, that such an uproar took place. It reached all the way to the emperor, Claudius, and he said, tackle that out of the city. We don't know that for sure, but we know that they were kicked out and that there's those types of disturbances taking place. Here as Paul is writing to them, he said, look it, if you're going to carry this message of peace, our king of peace, that king who rode in humbly on a donkey into the city, you have to learn to get along. That doesn't mean you're getting along because you're all uniform. Paul goes into detail in this. You're going to have differences of conscience. You're going to have differences of opinion. You're going to see things slightly differently. Some of your cultural influences from your background are going to kind of make things a little bit awkward at points. But the love of God has to be bigger than that. Our unity and submission to Jesus has to be bigger than that. New ways of working together. Well, with this in mind, four things, new leadership, um, new ways of talking about Jesus, ways of working through our homes and our workplaces, new approaches, and then ultimately new ways of just working together in unity. How do we apply this to the city of Toronto? How can we as Christians today be inspired again by Paul, by Aquila and Priscilla to do the same thing? How many of you have a smartphone? You want to hold it up right now? Some of you have been playing on it. I know that. Just hold it up, wave it around. If you light it up like that, we could look like we're having a concert here. That'd be kind of cool. <clears throat> this uh, very uh, simple, complicated device is completely transforming our world. It's transforming Toronto, and it's connecting us globally. Um, what do we know about our new world because of this device, the smartphone? 
All people, all cities are connected. This is amazing. I was just in Delhi, in India, and in some of the slums, open sewers, some of the poorest conditions I've ever been in, and the kids there took out their smartphones to take a picture of me. We're all connected. What is this allowing us to do? It allows all of us, those kids in Delhi, to you right now, opening up your phone, maybe looking at the Bible app or, or checking out a sports score. I don't know what you're doing. It allows us to have endless information at our fingertips. We can connect and communicate all over the world instantaneously. Amazing. It's also creating a blistering speed of change. Our cultures around the world are changing rapidly. It's making us all nervous, making us all tense. We're changing rapidly. Let me show you something just to illustrate this. Do you guys know what this is? It's an electric flying taxi. Did you know that this exists? They've developed an electric flying taxi. They, this company actually got a $90 million grant to set up the first electric taxi service between London and Paris. Can you imagine that, having a taxi fly into your house? You hop in, fly downtown Toronto for a game. Would that be cool? Could happen. We're experiencing rapid change. Well, let's come back to uh, the city of Toronto. What do we know about our city because of this rapid change, because of what's happening globally? It's a very multicultural city, most multicultural city in the world. More than 50% of the people in Toronto were not born in Canada. Technologically advanced, we're the first uh, city in the world to get a Google neighborhood, a, a neighborhood completely designed by Google. Could be up to 300 acres on our waterfront. Wouldn't that be cool? I don't know if that's cool or not. I don't know what a Google neighborhood is. But as we're getting a Google neighborhood. Media production and entertainment center, one of the largest sound stages in North America. A lot of major motion pictures happen here. We're wealthy, a lot of banks. Um, we're pluralistic in our spirituality. You can find virtually every form of spirituality here. Very much in many ways like Rome. Not as violent, but we still have our issues. And conflict, collision of cultures and beliefs. A rise in mental health issues. I think the close proximity and the rapidness of change and the isolation people are experiencing are increasingly causing mental health issues. Poverty and crime is a part of our city. It's part of the complexity and difficulty that we live with. How does God want to impact Toronto? What we can anticipate? New leadership. We can anticipate new ways of talking about Jesus. We can anticipate new approaches, homes, workplaces. We can anticipate new levels of working together. Here's what I could say from our team from City Movement traveling around. All of these things are taking place right now. Let me just talk to him very briefly. In terms of new leadership, amazing. Lucas has been here, you said, four or five years about. Almost every church in the city, uh, major church, is going through this type of uh, change in leadership. That new pastors are coming in, very much like Lucas, sort of same age, just as good looking, not quite as Lucas. But new leadership is coming in all across our cities. Uh, not only in terms of who's on point, but leadership within the churches. All of the, any church that's kind of like 300 and larger is becoming extremely multicultural. The concept of mo monocultural churches, there's still ethnic churches that are like community centers and rallying points for people immigrating to Canada. They're fantastic. They're alive. They're vibrant. They're growing. It's excellent. But do you know what? 
in terms of Bayview Glen or Pentecostal Church, all the different ones are becoming the same kind of multicultural church with multicultural leadership. I think it's fantastic. It's amazing. New ways of talking about Jesus. We just ran the Alpha campaign here. And there's a new common dialogue that's starting to form in terms of how Christians can all work together in terms of sharing Jesus' message through a tool like Alpha. Do you know that there's over 1,100 courses, 10,000 involved, 6,700 guests, and over 1,500 commitments? And that was only with 20% of the churches participating. Majiv went to 50% or 60% participating. Year after year, filling up the ACC with that many people, hearing Jesus' message, people giving their lives to Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yes. New approaches. You have home. How many here have homes? There's a lot of homeless people here. My gosh. Let's try that again. How many have homes? Okay, you all now have ministry centers. How many of you have a workplace, a desk, or some place outside of your home that you go to, a school? You've got two ministry centers. Do you guys believe that? That's how God wants to change the city. Are you giving your life over to participate, giving everything that you own, all that you have to be a part of this mission? If Christians across the city open up their homes, their hearts to hospitality, to living a message, to sharing a message, talking about Jesus, finding ways to, to bring your relationship with God into a conversation, do you realize the kind of impact that we could have? Leaders working together again. Uh, an amazing experience of pastors laying aside de uh, denominational distinctives and saying, Jesus unites us, how can we work together? Um, I could tell you more about that. Hopefully you'll hear more from City Movement in days ahead. Um, we're a small team resourcing city leaders across the country in terms of building the platforms that are needed, the leadership structures needed for us to work together in mission. Not just Bayview Glen, but all of the churches working together. As the uh, team comes up, I want us to close in prayer. But let us look at this um, final passage here. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in a rented house, welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was very bold and nothing could stop him. Let's pray. God, as we imagine what you want to do through our lives, individually, collectively, Bayview Glen, all of the churches and Christians across Toronto, May we be inspired by Paul's courage to step past his fear, all that he could have held him back from going there. For people like Priscilla and Aquila, can we be inspired by their stories to give our lives to you, Jesus, again, in a wholehearted, fresh way? We know, God, that it is not by our own strength that we do this, but it's your power working through us. As the book of, ends, uh, book of Acts ends, Lord, may this be our experience. May we be very bold, and may we see that through you, Jesus, nothing can stop this work that you're going to do. We love you. It's all for you, Jesus. Amen.